Our readings this morning alert us to something that I've been uh, trying to say and have said off and on over the time that we've been together, that human beings basically make meaning of their lives from the stories they tell each other. And by stories, I don't mean like when I used to get caught lying, my mom would say, oh, you're just telling me a story. I don't mean that. I mean by the way they um, think of what's really real about life. So think about this passage we just read. You have this mob in a stadium, and they're trying to make sense of this by A, Rome, and just think of the whole story that lies behind the Roman Empire. And then they're also trying to make meaning of their life through Artemis, and this God figure that they say fell out of heaven. No one sculpted it. It just fell out of heaven as it is. And so we've been reading the book of Acts, trying to do the same thing for us. If you've wondered, why are, we, why are we reading long portions of Scripture in church? Well, there's lots of reasons for it, but one of it is, is that it, it is to tell us the story that we're living in, to tell us what's really real about life. And so we've been asking the question week in and week out as we, as we read these passages, the Holy Spirit was producing the Jesus life in this first church that we read about in Acts, and then we've been asking, how is it the Holy Spirit is producing or will or can produce the spirit or the life of Jesus in our life. And so this morning, we have a very straightforward thing, and we've been seeing it all through the book of Acts, that one way the Holy Spirit creates the Jesus life in the church is by filling us with the Holy Spirit as he filled Jesus. So in our gospel reading this morning, we read that the Spirit came on Jesus at his baptism. Luke, when he was writing Volume 1, you might say, you know, Luke, Volume 1, Acts, Volume 2. In Luke, Volume 1, he tells us that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and that he came out of the wilderness and returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus stood up for the first time in public, he said of himself, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news. And then throughout the book of Acts, in various cities and places, we've had what, remember, I've been calling Pentecost. There's various Pentecosts. There's not just Acts 2. There's various times and spaces in which it was crucial for Luke to show everybody that what was driving this movement was the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have here in Ephesus. Luke wants us to know that when the gospel came to Ephesus, this key port city in all of the ancient world, he wanted them to know that once again, that the gospel was driven and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit who animated and energized and gave gifts and gave fruit to these people who were increasingly becoming followers of Jesus. The key thought here this morning, in my mind anyway, is that reception of the Spirit is crucial for being a disciple. And that all through Acts, we've seen that the Spirit has spoken, he's led, he's guided, he's conquered fear, he's given boldness. As the psalmist said this morning, the idea that we get if we read Acts in this way, that it's the Holy Spirit who causes this flourishing, this growing, this bearing fruit, this staying fresh and green. And so it raises a question, the question that Paul asked these disciples that he found in Ephesus. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And I don't mean, did you have a charismatic or Pentecostal experience sometime? I mean, I might mean that. But what I really more mean is, do you actually sense in the everyday rhythms and routines of your life, the person and work of the Holy Spirit animating your life? That's what's really in view here. 
I, I, I have a long, deep, broad, profound history in all things charismatic and Pentecostal. So I know the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's hardly anybody who would know more than me. And, and if somebody has, you know, a, a time of reception of the Spirit that includes some big, powerful, physical manifestation, I don't have any beef with that, and nor do I have any beef with somebody who says, no, I sense the Spirit with me day in and day out, but I've never had some big, powerful sort of physical manifestation happen to me or anything on that sort of broad spectrum. What I do care about very deeply for myself and for us as a congregation and for all of you individually is that you could look somebody in the eye and say, yeah, I really do feel like I have this ongoing kind of conversational relationship with God the Holy Spirit. That I really do feel like he speaks to me and leads me and guides me. He does the kinds of things that Jesus promised he would do when he came. So Paul happens upon these disciples, and um, scholars don't know really quite what to make of this. They're, they're all over the map, and what does it mean that they're disciples? Because Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they say, we've not even heard of a Holy Spirit. Now, there's a pattern in, in the Bible that goes basically like this. John's baptism which was for repentance or preparation. And the key thing here is to remember, when did John's baptism happen at the Jordan, John the Baptist? Did it happen before Pentecost or after? Before, right? So John's baptism, whatever it was, it doesn't mean to say that it was incomplete. Nowhere does the scripture suggest that what John was doing was incomplete and that it was somehow deficient. It was preparatory. But after Pentecost, everybody who was baptized into the name of Jesus after Pentecost was filled with the Holy Spirit. So when Paul baptizes them into Jesus, he's baptizing them into a new life animated and energized by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So he lays hands on them, they receive the Holy Spirit, they get what John promised they would get. Remember, John said, there's somebody coming greater than I. And when he baptizes you, he'll baptize you with the Spirit, with power and fire. So this is not necessarily a pattern that has to happen. There's no real pattern in, in the Bible necessarily for this is exactly how someone has to be baptized or exactly how someone has to receive the Holy Spirit. There's no pattern that we're trying to follow. There's a reality that we're trying to land on, that the Holy Spirit, as he's spreading to this new center in Ephesus, Luke wants us to know that right at the core of this is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So it makes me wonder... Do the challenges of today's world require the Holy Spirit? Let's think about that for a moment. Do the challenges facing the world today and the church's role in the earth as salt and light, do you think we can get by with our best thinking? Like if just enough of us could go to Harvard or Stanford, you think we could like pull this off? Or if enough of us could ace the you know, graduate school exams, then we could pull this off. No, obviously quite not. So then what are we going to do? I mean, we could sort of give lip service to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We could, we could land in sort of doctrinal precision where we've got a quite adequate you know, doctrine of the Trinity and a quite adequate doctrine of the third person of the Trinity. Or we could shoot for something that's actually what the Bible envisioned, and that is the Holy Spirit moving on the earth. And this is very important. The gospel is a critique of all temples. 
not just the one in Jerusalem. The gospel is a critique of temples, whether they be in San Francisco or the Silicon Valley or New York City, Madison Avenue or Kansas City or St. Louis. The gospel is a critique of all temples, including this one. The gospel, when it really spreads by the power of the Spirit, it actually, cre- it, it actually critiques everything according to what it is that God's doing in God's story and where this thing is going. And we just absolutely cannot do that without the person and work of the Holy Spirit loose in this temple. I have no hope to pursue the kind of transformation that I would like to pursue in my lifetime. I have no hope of gaining that without the person and work of the Holy Spirit leading the critique of this temple. It's only through him that I can find the wisdom to understand where my body, soul, spirit, social self, mind, heart, will. I can only see where that's out of line even by the Spirit making the Word alive, the Spirit speaking through you and showing me something. It's only the Holy Spirit who does that kind of stuff. And this is what Luke is so keen that we know. If you ask the people, I've, I've talked to people who have been in high political positions, and here's the kinds of thing that you'll often hear. I wanted to make a difference, and I knew I had to have power to make a difference. And so I ran for city council. But I soon realized that the real power was in the mayor's office. So then I ran for mayor. But then I realized that the real power was in Sacramento. And so I ran for state legislature. Only to realize that I really didn't have the power there. It was close, but I just couldn't quite get it to make the kind of change I wanted to make, so I ran for governor. Only to realize that the real power was in Washington. And so I ran for state senator. And then I found myself in the Senate, and again, I just couldn't quite scratch that itch. I just couldn't get there. The power just wasn't there, so I ran for president. Only to find out that I've got a gridlocked Congress and I can't do anything. I mean, this is how it actually goes. So this is not theoretical stuff for me. This is very pragmatic stuff. Where are we going to actually get the power to be salt and light? And Luke wants to say, you get it very concretely, very specifically through an ongoing engagement with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So the text says that the people began to realize that God was in what was happening and God was behind it. Uh, the way Eugene gets it in the message is, is that curiosity about Paul developed into reverence for the master Jesus, and that many of those who believed made a clean break with their secret sorceries. Uh, the NASB has it this way, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And then the translation has it, the word of the Lord continued to grow irresistibly in power and influence. The CEV has it, the Lord's message spread and became even more powerful. The Amplified Bible has it, thus the word of God grew and spread and intensified and prevailed mightily through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening here is Luke's trying to alert us that the issue of spiritual power is at the core of normative Christianity. I don't mean this in the slightest bit unkindly, but it doesn't doesn't reside a few blocks away at TBN. It doesn't reside on the 700 Club. Spiritual power resides in the real lives of real human beings. 
So remember, where are we here historically and in this narrative? We're in Ephesus, right? And there's this power encounter going on. People are seeing what ha- what's happening through Paul with these handkerchiefs and his cloths, these seven sons of Sceva, who are these Jewish exorcists, are trying to mimic Paul, but it's not happening. The crowds are in a riot. People are trying to, kind of seeing what's going on. And it's in his letter to Ephesus that Paul says these kinds of things. I pray that you would know the dynamite, the dunamis, the power and the energy of God. Ephesians 3.16, I pray that you would be given the dunamis or the power of the Spirit. Ephesians 3.30, that you, would, that you could realize that God can do more. Remember this famous passage? God can do more than we can even think or hope to ask. How? Through the dunamis or the power or the energy at work within us. Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would be strong in the power of his might and invigorated by God's strength. To the Colossians, he said, I pray that you'll be given strength or power, excuse me, but you'll be given power, again, dunamis, by the strength of his power. Paul said to the Corinthians, the kingdom of God is not word, but power. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. And my fear is that if you get right down to it, the vast majority, especially of the evangelical church in the, in the West, lives in this sort of no man's land. Of we, we've kind of tried for a whole generation grasping for political power. And we created a whole thing called the religious right. And we've tried very hard for a whole generation. And I do not mean to put down people like Falwell, James Kennedy, Pat Robertson, all those people. I do not mean to put them down. They, they could see that culture was kind of going crazy according to Christian standards and we're trying to do something about it. Okay, I get that. But we've lived it now. The data's in. It didn't work. We mostly just succeeded at offending most Americans who now, who now think that to be a Christian, to be a born-again Christian, means you have to be, be sort of a right-wing nutcase. And so pursuing that kind of power didn't work. And, then, and, and, and most evangelicals now can see it. And so then on the other hand of the spectrum, you've got people who pursued sort of nutty Pentecostalism and realized that it didn't work. And so now what we mostly have is people who aren't really seriously engaging with notions of power. But power is never going to go away. Power is here. Power is simply capacity. To be created in God's image means to be created with capacity. And so each human being has capacity. And groups of human beings have capacities. And eras of people of human history have capacities and churches have capacities. So there's sort of social capacity and there's personal capacity. That's not going anywhere. We do not get to choose power or no power. The only thing we get to choose is this, ethical or unethical uses of power. Honest or dishonest engagements with the Holy Spirit. Humble engagements with him or arrogant. We can make lots of those kinds of choices, but we cannot choose to engage with the third person of the Trinity or not. And we cannot not choose about how to deal with power. So I know that people wonder a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what does that mean. It's really a very simple thing. It's just simply the continuing presence of Jesus in the church. So for instance, let me just remind you of this story. You know, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus says in Luke, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. So stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, I mean, we could just say that and I could just sit down. 
Jesus is saying, you cannot engage in the journey I'm asking you to engage on until you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't even try. He didn't say, he could have said to them, go study at the feet of the best rabbis who understand what, God, what God's up to and that I'm really the Messiah. He could have said that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Obviously, I'm not down on learning. I'm a teacher and a lifelong learner myself. I'm not down on learning. I'm simply saying Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say go you know, make a deal with Herod and the, and the um, powers that be in the temple. There's a lot of things he could have said, but the one thing he did say was, don't do anything until you're clothed with power from on high, until you've received what the Father has promised. In John 14, Jesus is a little more specific about it, and he says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He'll remind you everything I've said to you. He'll testify about me. He'll guide you into all truth. And then, of course, we have Acts 2, and these other Pentecosts that we've read about, where people have been filled with the Spirit, equipped for ministry, given authority, given a sense of authorization to act in God's name. They were given power, capacity, muscle. They were given the transformation of their character. If you read Acts 18 along with us, I don't know if you did, we didn't read it in church today, but it was on the website, then you know one of the things the Holy Spirit did in our readings this week is help Paul, who was struggling for whatever reason with his own confidence and his own sense of being authorized. And what does God do to him? Speaks to him. He gives them this sort of power encounter with the Holy Spirit to encourage him. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, the ability to act in the moment. As I've thought about this, and I, I think I've said this before, but it bears repeating, there is something really healthy about the experience of the recognized presence of God. There is something very spiritually healthy about that. The experience, let me say that again, the experience, something we experience, of the recognized, that is to say, people can see it, they can sense it themselves, manifest presence of God. In fact, I would go so far as to say that I think a community that doesn't have that, it's actually sub-biblical. God had um, intended and viewed that there would be in the church this ongoing interaction through the ongoing spirit of Jesus. So that as the psalmist said, you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. You see that? Deeds, what, you, what your hands have done. This is something we experience. It's manifest. We can see it. And so it's, it, the, what the psalmist is picturing is God's hands moving in a congregation and through a congregation and people being able to see that. And it's, and it's enormously encouraging. It builds faith and trust and it and as such, it, it actually greatly aids in both evangelism and discipleship. When, when others can see that God is really real in our midst, it's actually very attractive. I mean, you could just read the book of Acts someday with that lens on, and you can see that whenever God moved in, or in the Gospels, where there would be a healing, a whole village would come to Christ. Or they would see some Jesus do an exorcism, and a whole village would come to Christ. Why? Because they could see God's hand moving in their midst. And this isn't just for evangelism, but it's also for our own discipleship. We're encouraged when we can see God moving. All right, well, if this is all true, how do we participate? How do we get in on this story of Acts? And it's really very simple. It's faith and confidence in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You're not likely to be rewarded for your sincere cynicism. 
You're not likely to begin to engage with the Holy Spirit because of your, you know, your really heartfelt, um, you know, skepticism or cynicism. It just, it doesn't work that way. You interact with the Holy Spirit through faith and through confidence in the presence and power of God. Now, again, I've said this before, but I have to say it again. I have some very, very deep values for me when it comes to engaging with the Holy Spirit and when it comes to us as a community engaging with the Holy Spirit. Things like no hype, never. No manipulation, never. Naturally supernatural, always. Humility, tentative, creating and respecting the space of other human beings. Any of you who know me, who I've ever talked to like this, I've said something like, you know, I think maybe the Lord's saying, but you know, I'm not sure, I could be wrong, you think about this. Sometimes I'll say, I feel kind of strong about this, but I'm not sure, I feel medium strong, I don't know. But why? It's not that I don't trust the Holy Spirit. It's that A, I know I'm fallible, and B, I cannot suck all the oxygen out of your relationship with Christ. Any, quote, word that I give you has to leave you in charge of your own life because it's your life before God that matters. It's your life that he's dealing with. I'm simply an ambassador of his kingdom and perhaps being used by him. So these are very important values of mine. No hype, no manipulation, naturally supernatural, humility, tentative, respecting human space. So if we think, lastly, how do we participate in this? And I just know my own life at work something like this. If I think about an ongoing interactive conversational relationship with the Holy Spirit, I want to know Jesus better. I want the tools or fruit of the Spirit to live the Christian life. I want the power to be an ambassador of Jesus and his kingdom. So as we pause now, um, I want us to sit with these ideas for a moment. You may want to bow your head or just sit quietly or or close your eyes, whatever uh, works for you. But to just think about these doorways into the life of the Spirit, um, these pathways to connecting with Him, around these notions, I want to know Jesus better. I want the tools, the gifts, that I need to live the Christian life that God's called me to. I want the fruit. I want the character transformation to be the kind of person who could live the life that God is calling me to live. And then lastly, let's grapple with this issue of power and just say straight out, I want power. I want the power to be an ambassador of Jesus and his kingdom. I want power to be salt and light. I want the power to affect change in my own life and to be an ambassador of change for others. Come Holy Spirit. Fall upon us, we pray as we've seen you fall upon the first church week after week, chapter after chapter, this golden thread through the story of the people of God indeed not being left as orphans, 
not being left without a teacher, a master, a guide, one who we could apprentice ourselves to, but we have been given the ongoing spirit of Jesus. And we ask this morning that as Paul laid his hands on these disciples in Ephesus, that you would lay your hands upon us now. Each one, each woman here, each man here, filled with the power of your Holy Spirit, connected ever deeper to Jesus. The gifts of the Spirit stirred up in them. Character transformation made manifest. That we would be the kinds of persons who could interact with integrity, with real power. Help us to that end, we ask. In Jesus' name.